Hey everyone, before we kick off the show today, got to tell you about our friends at La Terrain Watches. Time pieces to explore, Swiss elegance, and watchmaking details without the Swiss price tag. The watches are built to tell your story. Established in 2018, La Terrain Watches captures every moment on your wrist. Our watches are built for the ambitious and hardworking because just like you, we never settle for less. They're water resistant, suitable for everyday use, crafted with timeless details, and they are available for you as a Crunch Time Plays listener for a 10% off discount. Use the code CRUNCHTIMEPLAYS at at checkout or follow this link, L-A-T-O-U-R-A-I-N-E dot com slash crunch time plays and you'll automatically get that 10% off discount. Once again, that's La Terrain Watches, time pieces to explore. And with that, it is time to kick off the show today. Roll the intro and here we go. It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Crunch Time Plays. Pleasure to be joined today by beat writer covering the Jacksonville Jaguars for Jaguar Report, part of the SI.com Fan Nation Network. And we're just so happy to have John Shipley along with us today. What's up, man? Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it, and I hope you're doing good. Hey, yeah, I'm doing great. Hope hope you are too. Just wanted to start off with the, of course, the the Urban Meyer saga and whether or not he was going to come back into coaching. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was been a long, it's been a long and difficult process. Just talk about that yeah, it, and what the Jaguars saw in him. Yeah, no, it's it's been a it's been a long kind of journey since the season ended. You know, they they fired Doug Marone pretty quickly after the season ended. I mean, it was. It was on the uh, Monday morning after the last game of the season, and they had a 4 p.m. kickoff in the last game of the season. So it, it I don't even think it was like 12 hours or anything like that from like the final play of the season to when he got fired. So they quickly jumped into this thing, and uh, a lot of people had tabbed them as, you know, like the most desirable spot for head coaches and general managers. But they didn't do this kind of like wide-ranging search that like, you know, like the Eagles, it seemed like Eagles were trying to, interview uh every coach you know that they could possibly find but the jaguars they interviewed uh five coaches they interviewed uh urban meyer raheem morris arthur smith robert saley and uh eric Bieniemy. and they ended up uh, deciding on meyer and uh at least uh from my perspective from what uh, meyer has kind of said and really from all the signs i think the biggest factor in the jaguars actually being the team to kind of pull meyer out of retirement after you know, it, it seems like every year there was, you know, Urban Meyer coming back to coaching rumors. And uh, even I was a bit pessimistic that, you know, the Jaguars would be the team to kind of, you know, be the ones that bring him back to the sideline. But really, I think the biggest reason it happened is because they ended up at the end of the season getting lucky with the New York Jets picking up a few wins and getting that number one overall pick because that gives Meyer a, uh, you know, a chance to pick a franchise quarterback that he can kind of hit the ground running with. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, we'll get to that. We'll get to those couple first round picks here in a, in a little bit. But just wanted to get your take on. I know Urban Meyer had some coaching opportunities this year. There was rumors that Texas wanted to hire him and and pay him a a boatload of money to come. And one of the major differences I think between college and the NFL is 
the lack of, or not the lack of, but the, the amount of time you don't have to spend uh, recruiting and such as that in college and the NFL, you can, you know, just focus on kind of coaching and managing the roster and scouting reports and different things like that. Just how big of a deal do you think it was for Meyer specifically to go to the NFL where maybe he doesn't have to get burnt out in recruiting as much? Uh, I think it was a big deal. We actually put up an article on the site yesterday where uh, Urban Meyer was talking about his love for, you know, what he called the build, which is, you know, how you go about building a program. You know, everybody that's ever played Dynasty or franchise mode, you know, they say the same thing. You know, they love building a program from the ground up. And that's really kind of Meyer's entire mindset. And that's his mindset with the Jaguars. You know, I mean, he's looking at them uh, as a program that he can, you know, start building from the bottom up, just like with Ohio State and Florida. Obviously different because, you know, it's a pros in college. But I, I, I think it had a big factor to do with it. Uh, like I said, in that article we posted, uh, Meyer, you know, was doing a, a college uh, football podcast and with a uh, buddy Martin uh, down in Gainesville. And uh, I guess he had said in the most recent one, uh, our, our own Cassidy Hill wrote the story. He had basically said that, you know, the 24-7 recruiting cycle, the transfer portal, just how it became basically like free agency it all had kind of, you know, come to a head and it just didn't seem like something that he had much interest in anymore. So I think honestly, the NFL is a perfect for a coach who's kind of in the stage of life that Meyer kind of is because uh, it's not to say being an NFL head coach isn't, uh, you know, probably one of the most stressful jobs imaginable because, you know, it it definitely is, but it's not like, you know, you're having the game plan for a game uh, one second and the next second, you know, fielding phone calls from high school coaches trying to land somebody who you're hoping will play well in two to three years. You know, everything's much more in front of you. Yeah, I just want to talk about the staff real quick for Meyer and then, and then we'll get to some specifics about the draft and different scenarios like that. But obviously on offense, they hire Daryl Bevel to be the offensive coordinator. And then a couple of nights ago, Adam Schefter broke the news that they hired Brian Schottenheimer to be the the passing game coordinator, and and uh, Ian Rappaport also reports that he'll be the quarterbacks coach as well. Just kind of talk about what how you see um, their roles kind of filling out. I know sometimes it's hard to mesh, you know, offensive coordinator, passing game coordinator kind of relationship. But uh, just talk about what do you expect from the Jacksonville offense going forward? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm actually. Uh... You know, just as kind of, you know, I'm an objective outsider who covers the team. I, I actually thought the Bevel hire was a kind of, a, honestly a brilliant one by Meyer because, I mean, this was a guy who the last two years in Detroit, when he's had a healthy quarterback, they've had a really potent passing game. Uh, Seattle, uh, they had multiple offenses finish in the top five of scoring with him at the helm. You know, people might not think about his Seattle days with, you know, Marshawn Lentz and Chris Carson and whatnot and think high scoring offense, but they put up a lot of points. And the big thing with him has always been if he has a quality starting quarterback, his offenses typically have done well. And uh, it, it, I, it's actually funny to me that his last uh, quarterback was a uh, Stafford because uh, one of my comparisons for Lawrence has honestly been kind of a souped up version of Matthew Stafford. You know, just his ability to create plays out of structure. Uh, he has an unreal arm talent and accuracy downfield. So I actually think Bevel fits his skill set perfectly. You know, he's going to do a lot of play action. And he's going to chuck the ball downfield uh, often, which is which is perfect for Lawrence's skill set. And then Brian Schottenheimer, I, I honestly I thought the Jaguars had hired Schottenheimer as offensive coordinator. That would have been a solid hire. So just bringing him on along as a position coach and a passing game coordinator who can kind of help with the game planning and the situational type stuff and scheming. Uh, I, I thought that was a positive move from them. 
I mean, they, they now have, uh, you know, two coaches working directly with Lawrence who have extensive uh, play calling, you know, backgrounds and extensive backgrounds working with quarterbacks. So I think those were two solid hires. And I think you can expect the Jaguars offense to, you know, kind of look like some of those Seattle offenses. You know, they're, they're not going to shy away from running the ball. Uh, Urban Myers teams have always been downhill you know, running teams, but I do think that they're going to let Lawrence uh, chuck it down the field a good bit. Yeah, great stuff there. Just wanted to switch over to the defensive side of the ball now. I know Joe Cullen is going to be the defensive coordinator, and then uh, Tosh Lupoy is obviously going to be on the defensive staff as well, along with Charlie Strong. Just kind of uh, what do you what do you think about the the defensive staff as a whole right now? No, I, I think it's really interesting on the defensive staff. Uh, on offense, they have three coaches with uh, heavy Seattle ties between, you know, Schottenheimer, Bevel, and Sanjay Law, their wide receivers coach. And then on defense, they have a lot of assistance with deep Baltimore Ravens ties. You know what I mean? Colin had been their defensive line coach the last five years. Uh, they're also bringing along Sterling Lucas, who was the Ravens' assistant defensive line coach, works right with Colin. And then Zach Orr is going to be Jacksonville's outside linebackers coach. So uh, taking uh, several guys from Baltimore's defensive ecosystem, I think that kind of signals that there's going to be a big shift in defensive principles and philosophies for the Jaguars. You know, they, it, since 2013, they've ran the same defensive scheme. You know, there's obviously been minor tweaks and differences year to year and stuff like that, but for the most part, their principles and philosophies have been the same. You know, it's been that classic uh, 4-3 under front, uh, Seattle cover three, where they play, you know, a big end on the edge instead of having two, you know, smaller edge rushers on the field at once. Well, with Baltimore, with all this influx of Baltimore coaches and just the fact that they have an outside linebacker, outside linebackers coach alone uh, indicates to me that they're probably going to be moving to more of a 3-4 or a multiple defense which, you know, 4-3 or 3-4, it, it really isn't that important because a lot of time teams are in nickel. But it does kind of show you the philosophy of the defense. Like with the 4-3 under Todd Walsh, the Jaguars were a really reactive defense who wanted to keep everything in front of them, whereas Baltimore, they kind of dictate the terms for the offense and they uh, attack them instead of letting them get attacked, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes great sense. And I've loved watching the Ravens play defense over the last few years. They've had a great defensive staff, and now a lot of those coaches come over to Jacksonville, and I think that's going to be um, big time there. I uh, just wanted to uh, get your thoughts real quick on uh, the Matthew Stafford trade and and what you thought about that. I know uh, the Colts were a big player in that, and just how beneficial is that for Jacksonville that it did not work out with Matthew Stafford going to Indianapolis? Yeah, no, I mean, just my thoughts on the trade in general were, you know, I, I love when the NFL kind of dips its toes into the NBA trade pool. You know, we saw it with Brock Osweiler a few years ago, and I think this was the same instance. I don't think, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people saw Stafford get dealt for two firsts, and they were like, wow, two firsts is the price of Stafford. But I, I think the price was a first for Stafford and then a first if, hey, if you guys can take Jared Goff's contract. So I, I just love how that was kind of structured. I thought – I honestly thought the Rams won big just because I think Stafford is a big enough upgrade over Goff that it's worth the investment. And, I mean, if the Rams are a good enough team, they're going to be picking in the 20s anyway. So how valuable are those first-round picks really? Uh, for example, you know, uh, everybody made a giant deal when the Rams traded uh, two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey. Well, those first-round picks ended up being number 20 overall. And Caleb on Chason, who, you know, he's a solid player. You know, he really came on the end of the year, but he's no Ramsey. And then now the Jaguars are picking number 25 overall. 
if you're telling me I can get the best cornerback in the NFL for the 20th and the 25th pick, I'm going to do that every single time. And I think that same argument can be said for quarterbacks. Uh, as for the Jaguars, I thought they were honestly one of the biggest winners of that trade because uh, what, what a lot of people forget is everything about the NFL is about winning the division. You know, uh, teams often build their entire roster based on the strengths and weaknesses of their division. So uh, the, the Colts, they have one of the best uh, teams, rosters, front offices, uh, coaching staffs, whatever, in the entire AFC South. But if they can't find an answer at quarterback, they're kind of doomed from the jump, which would give the Jaguars a leg up moving into 2021 and even beyond, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's hard for the Colts to really find a quarterback right now because they're not going to be picking very high. And yeah, uh, it's very, very rare that a free agent quarterback who is franchise changing ever really hits the market. So I, I thought the Jags were big winners because I thought Stafford made great sense for the Colts. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm a Stafford fan, you know, I don't think he's an elite quarterback by any stretch, but I think, you know, having him in the AFC South probably would have been a boost over, uh, you know, having Philip Rivers in the AFC South. You know, he probably would have presented more problems for them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't think Stafford is is an elite quarterback by any stretch, but I think he'll do great in Sean McVay's offense. And I also think that's one of the reasons why Jared Goff, you know, his weaknesses aren't shown as much because he was in Sean McVay's offense with that system. Sean McVay's obviously one of the the bright offensive young coaches in the NFL. Just talk about how do you think Jerry Goff will fare now going from L.A. to Detroit? I don't think it'd be unreasonable to think that Goff may not be starting for any team in 2022. Uh, I, I know he has the pedigree of being a number one overall pick. I know he's had a couple of productive years with the Rams, made Pro Bowls. And, you know, the year they went to the Super Bowl, you know, he had a great year statistically. It's just I've never really seen it from him. Uh, you know, there, there's not a lot of physical talent. You know, he, he's a quarterback who he's going to win with his, you know, accuracy and timing and rhythm. But it just seemed like McVay was really doing the heavy lifting with the Rams to the point where I I think Detroit should, you know, be happy about the first round picks they got. But I don't think they should in any way be content with the quarterback situation. I think they're a rebuilding team. And, you know, if you want to use golf as a placeholder quarterback while you're rebuilding, I think that's understandable. But I, I would severely question uh, calling him the answer for any team right now. Yeah, I, th- I'm, I think the same way. I think that golf, um, like I said before, really shined in Sean McVay's offense. And But, I mean, what quarterback will probably – I mean, right? what quarterback won't shine in Sean McVay's offense? It's how, that's how good it is. But um, I'm like you. I, I don't think golf is a long-term answer for Detroit at quarterback. I just think he's more of a, of a holdover. And um, speaking of holdovers, I do want to get your thoughts on this. I know – uh, this doesn't really have anything to do with Jacksonville. It has more to do with the Panthers. But obviously, Teddy Bridgewater was a big, you know, kind of a placeholder quarterback this year for Matt Rule and Joe Brady in Carolina. Just wanted to get your thoughts on um, a possible Deshaun Watson trade to the Panthers. And and if not, if the Panthers don't end up with Watson and he ends up going to the Jets or the Dolphins or some team like that, what do you foresee – for Carolina at quarterback in 2021, you think they move up in the draft ahead of Atlanta and try to draft a franchise quarterback then? Uh, I, I mean, I think Watson makes perfect sense for the Panthers just because, I mean, he seems like a seamless fit uh, in Joe Brady's kind of, you know, multiple offense that would let the quarterback, you know, have a lot of control. 
and would really open things up for Watson. And, you know, I, I, just in my opinion, I think Watson, uh, if, if I were building a team around any quarterback today, you know, like saying, okay, I want to be successful for the next five to six years and try to reach multiple Super Bowls. You're obviously starting with Patrick Mahomes, but after him, I think Watson's the next guy that you really would want to build around. So I don't think there's a price that's too high for Watson, especially for a team like the Panthers, who have a lot of talent on offense that, you know, he could kind of hit the ground running right away. You know, McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, uh, Curtis Samuel, if they retain him. And I think he'd be a significant upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater, who, you know, is by no means a bad quarterback, but uh, Watson's just a, a different breed. But uh, I, I think if the Panthers can't land Watson, I really think that they're going to take a quarterback at seven. I, I, I don't feel like they're a team that, that would trade up. I feel like, if anything, they're a team that would trade down if their guy isn't there. But I could I could see them falling for any of the three guys in the second tier, you know, whether it be Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or Trey Lance. Uh, all are really high-stealing guys with great physical tools who, you know, teams can kind of mold. And the Panthers are in a good situation because, you know, while they obviously, uh, I, I think, clearly want to upgrade quarterback, they can bring in a rookie quarterback and still, you know, kind of bring him along slowly because they still do have Bridgewater, you know, under contract. Yeah, I agree. I know um, Watson is my second favorite quarterback to watch behind Mahomes. He's one of the best players in the game. And I love the idea of him to the Panthers. The only thing that I wouldn't be crazy about is maybe the young defensive stars. Maybe the Panthers would have to give up for Watson, like Jeremy Chan and Brian Burns and possibly Derek Brown and different things like that. Um, I saw one – article i think it was by uh you guys that or it might have been the panthers si.com fan nation guys but um i saw one that had realistic trades for watson for carolina and it had some you know first round picks but then it also had teddy bridgewater and that was you know the second i think the second highest rated trade so i don't i don't know if, if bridgewater would be you know worth the um, the price of giving up Watson yeah. for Houston, but I know they would really enjoy having the picks probably. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, anytime you can make that trade off, I mean, uh, the, the way I see it, I, I think Houston's just kind of in an unwinnable situation. People keep saying, uh, you know, they can sit and, you know, if Watson wants to sit out, then they can just wait him out. Well, they still need a guy to play quarterback, you know what I mean? So at the, at the end of the day, the ship in my eyes has sailed on the whole Watson and Texans relationship. And I believe sooner or later, the Texans will realize that and they'll deal with the picks. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of Deshaun Watson, I want to move to another guy that played quarterback at Clemson. It's probably going to be the number one pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. What are the odds that the number one pick, and I know you wrote a art, great article about this that I read, uh, if you if you hadn't read it, make sure to check it out on si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars, the Jaguars report fan nation. But what are the odds that Trevor Lawrence is not the number one pick? Man, I, I've i been wrong before, you know, in my time covering the Jaguars. I really have. Uh, but I just I, I don't see any scenario like any feasible scenario where Lawrence isn't the top pick for so many reasons. I mean, the. The first reasons are the obvious football reasons where, you know, Fields is a great prospect. Wilson's a great prospect. But Lawrence is, uh, at least in my eyes, generational. You know, he's been lauded as this top quarterback prospect since high school uh, for a reason. You know, I mean, he came in with 
the maybe loftiest expectations of any high school quarterback recruit I can remember. And he met or exceeded uh, every single one of them. And then you have to look at the, you know, outside circumstances where the, this is the first time the Jaguars ever had the top pick. Uh, I, I can't imagine that they're going to use a once in a franchise, you know, lifetime opportunity and not take the guy that, you know, has been propped up as this, you know, next star quarterback for as long as he has been. And I, and finally, I mean, Jaguars under Shad Khan, uh, he's a businessman. You know, Shad Khan's not going to be calling the shots in Jacksonville by any means, but you best believe that he understands that picking Lawrence would be the best thing for the Jaguars uh, as a brand and as a business. Uh, at, at least, you know, that's the working assumption I'm under. And, I mean, just taking Lawrence would get the Jaguars – a national star that they could really build their brand and market around where, you know, Fields is a great player. Wilson's a great player, but they, they don't have Lawrence's star power. And I really do think the Jaguars will factor that in. Be, and the way I look at it is the best business decision is also the best football decision. So it just marriages perfectly. And then, you know, people are going to talk a lot about Justin Fields uh, because of Urban Meyer and their Ohio State ties. But I mean, I wrote this story on the day Urban Meyer was hired, but Urban Meyer never coached Justin Fields. He never recruited Justin Fields. He left Ohio State before Justin Fields ever even entered the transfer portal. Uh, Justin Fields didn't have an offer from Ohio State coming out of high school. It's just uh, he, he clearly knows Justin Fields because he was still, you know, deeply connected with the Ohio State program after he retired. But I, it, in my opinion, there's nothing about his history that says, OK, he's heads over heels for Justin Fields and we'll take him number one. Yeah, I agree. And it's a great point. Um, what you said about Justin Fields and his relationship with Urban Meyer, just the fact that, you know, a lot of people I know have made that comparison uh, between Urban Meyer and Justin Fields, but you're right. He, he did not recruit Justin Fields. He never even coached Justin Fields. And so it doesn't really make sense uh, from that standpoint. And I agree about the business decision. I think not only is Trevor Lawrence a great football player, he's also a great person. And he is would be a tremendous asset as far as, you know, season ticket sales, merchandise sales, all the business um, aspects of the game. Yeah. And he he just makes sense to me as number one. I did want to get into possible trade scenarios for number one. Let's hear it. Because I know that was one of your options in your article yeah, as well. Course. So what would a team have to give up to get the number one pick from Jacksonville? Oh man, that that's tough. I think it. I think it would have to be more than the Rams gave up to get Goff, which was you know multiple first and multiple second round picks. Just because I mean, when they traded up for Goff, people were still debating if Goff or Wentz were even the top quarterback in that class. You know, people were asking if Goff was even worth being picked number one overall. So Lawrence is just in a different stratosphere completely. Uh, I know people will talk about the RG three trade for three first. Well. That was for the second pick. You know, it wasn't like they were trading up for Andrew Luck. If they were trading up for Andrew Luck, he probably would have cost more. So I, I'd i want to say the conversation would have to start at, you know, maybe three to four first rounders and a starter on defense. But the Jaguars would be have to have to be confident that they could get a quarterback with one of those picks. So I'd say three to four first round picks starts the conversation, but it would have to be an offer that, like it, it'd have to be in my eyes an all-time offer to even really consider it, just because I mean, uh, a, a quarterback is more valuable than draft picks. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, a, of a franchise quarterback will mean, you know, so much to the, especially the Jaguars who are 
you know, just, just yearning to be successful again. And, you know, I just think that if you don't tra- take Trevor Lawrence, number one, that just opens you a massive can of worms that you don't probably don't even want to go down. But yeah, I know, absolutely. And I know Urban Meyer did, you know, say if, if we want to win, we're going to have to be elite. And, and he described Trevor Lawrence as elite. He described, you know, Fields and Wilson and Lance as elite. But I just think that Trevor Lawrence is yeah. just – he's got all the physical tools. He can make every throw. The one I, thing- I, I actually thought Meyer had kind of a Freudian-type slip, uh, you know, when he made that comment. He said uh, how there were a lot of good quarterbacks in the draft, and he's like, you see Trevor, you see Justin, you see Zach. And I'm like, it, did he subconsciously just, like, list them in the order that, you know, he probably, like, ranks them just, you know, not even doing it on purpose, but just, you know, just subconsciously, okay, these, these this is how I see these three guys. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I agree. And wanted to switch now to the number 25 pick. Obviously, the Jaguars have it. And just wanted to get your thoughts on some options there at 25. I know right before we came on uh, the air, we were talking about J.C. Horn um, from South Carolina. I know he debuted in the Pro Football Focus mock draft this week as the number 25 pick of the Jaguars. Just want to get your thoughts on him as well as any other options you see uh, going forward for the Jaguars at, with the 25th pick. No, I'm 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 a big J.C. Horton fan. He actually reminds me a lot of uh, C.J. Henderson from a year ago. Just, I mean, without p- people weirdly got this idea that Henderson wasn't a physical corner because he mi- he missed tackles now and then. But I mean, just watching him in the NFL last year, he was one of the more physical rookie cornerbacks I can remember. And I see the same thing with Horn. You know, he's physical at the catch point. He's physical at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he has good click and close. He can play man and zone. He can play off. He can play. You know, he can press. So I'm a big fan of Horn. Uh, The ball production isn't there, but to me, uh, that's something that you kind of, you know, try to worry about later. And I think especially if you're picking at 25, uh, I think it's more important to find a reliable and consistent cover man than it is to find, you know, like a ball hawk or anything like that. Uh, As for other options, I I really think the Jaguars, they could realistically look at any position other than quarterback, interior offensive line, or linebacker. It, they probably would, shouldn't look at uh, edge rusher either, but every other position, you know, they they could legitimately take a look at. You know, maybe they need an offensive tackle if Cam Robinson doesn't get re-signed. Uh, maybe they get they see a speed guy like Darius Tony or Rondell Moore that Urban Meyer would love to put in his offense. You know, maybe Jalen Waddle slips for whatever reason. Uh, you know, maybe a tight end like Kyle Pitts or Pat Furmarth. And then uh, my my personal favorite for who I think makes the most sense for them at twenty five is. Alabama defensive tackle Christian Barmore, uh, just because the Jaguars, they badly need an influx of talent along the interior of the defensive line. And, you know, Bar- Barmore, he's entering the draft after, you know, he was only a redshirt sophomore, I believe. So, you know, he, he's basically multiple clay right now. And his best game, his best games of his career came in the biggest games towards the end of last season. So I think that's the kind of player you want to bank on moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I know if you can't get, you know, a corner, if you can't get Horn, you can't get Sertain, say if they're both gone. I love Christian Barmore on the defensive line. I mean, I, I equate the NFL to the SEC. You got to be good up, up front. You got to be good in the Absolutely. trenches. You got to be good on the offensive line and the defensive line. And and I agree with you. I know Christian Barmore will be a great pick as well. So after the picks, I know the Jaguars have, 
you know, a lot of uh, other picks in the draft, just talk about uh, what they may do as far as their remaining picks and what their most glaring needs are. I know you mentioned wide receivers, Kadarius Tony, Rondell Moore. I know they'll probably go in the first round. Just looking beyond the first round, what what are some realistic options for the Jaguars? Yeah, I mean, they still need help uh, at, at safety and cornerback. You know, uh, I, I was a big fan of Auburn rookie uh, Daniel Thomas last season, but he only started a handful of games because he was a backup until like week nine. And then I think after his third or fourth game, uh, he got placed on IR. But he was a really interesting defender when he did get in there. And, you know, Gerard Wilson's a, a solid free safety, but they need a difference maker at safety. Uh, as of right now, they don't have a slot cornerback on the roster. Uh, DJ Hayden said to be a free agent, and he, he honestly kind of looked done last year anyways, just in terms of his ability. Uh, Trey Herndon's a restricted free agent. He played a lot of slot for them, so they badly need a slot corner. Uh, they need a slot receiver because Keelan Cole is set to be a free agent. And, you know, Urban Meyer's offenses have always placed a big emphasis on slot receiver. And, you know, guys like DJ Chark and LaVisco Chenault can definitely play in the slot, but each of those guys are also better equipped, you know, outside because they're bigger body types who can win downfield. And then, uh, you know, I, I hit on offensive tackle earlier, but they, they badly need tight ends. Uh, Tyler Eifert was a disappointment last year. Josh Oliver, uh, you know, he was a third-round pick two years ago. He's only played in four games in two years. So, you know, m- missing that much time, you know, he's not really a guy you can bank on moving forward. And then finally, they need a backup running back behind James Robinson just because, uh, you know, as talented as Robinson is, the Jaguars need to not run him into the dirt completely and kind of, you know, run his tires off of him this early in his career. So I, I think getting a backup who's more of a pass catcher would do wonders for them. Yeah, I know you mentioned James Robinson. Obviously he's, um, you know, finalist for offensive rookie of the year this year. And he, he got run a lot last year. Cause I mean, Gardner Minshew, I mean, he wasn't very good, you know, in the downfield passing game, but I, I do think that, Drafting Lawrence and playing in the offense with Daryl with Bevel and Schottenheimer, I think that you would you will have more opportunities to get you know Robinson involved in 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 the passing game and different things like that, and then obviously backup running back options. I mean, I think a guy like you know Carter from North Carolina he had a great Senior Bowl. I don't know if he'll I don't know where the Jaguars you know fit him on their board. But um, just as far as James Robinson, I mean, I think he'll do – I think he will get a little bit of a reprieve for, from, you know, just the offense that he'll be playing in next year. Definitely. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so as well. You know, I mean, they're going to be – you know, J- Jay Gruden loves downhill running, you know, and James Robinson quickly became the workhorse for the Jaguars. I, I think adding a, you know, a passing threat like Lawrence – I think that alone opens up a lot for Robinson and also takes a lot of stuff off his plate because I mean, there were so many times the the Jaguars, they just had no chance to do anything, but give the ball to James Robinson because their quarterbacks weren't getting it done. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And not, I mean, there's not too many guys that are, you know, majorly downfield threats at wide receiver either. I mean, I know, you know, DJ chart, he's, he's pretty good, but I know, I know the Jaguars would love to get a couple more wide receivers in this draft as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the the way I see it is, uh, you know, the two teams that were about to watch in the Super Bowl in a few days, they're loaded with offensive talent. You know, uh, 
that they they're each too deep at wide receiver, tight end, running back. And to me, that's the best way to win in the NFL. You obviously need to play complementary football, and both of them they have stars on the defensive side of the ball as well. But I think surrounding your franchise quarterback with uh you know the best possible weapons on at every position on the field is uh important especially if they're a young quarterback and that's why i think the jaguars are gonna do yeah so what what are the realistic expectations looking beyond the draft for 2021 for jacksonville there's you know there's a lot of great pieces um if you add a couple if you add you know, fit a bunch of your needs in the draft. Just what's the realistic expectation for Jacksonville in 2021 and how far uh, in the future do you see maybe the Jaguars contending for a playoff spot? I, I, I think we need to see the dust kind of settle in Houston and Indianapolis uh, just because, I mean, how those teams are set up at quarterback entering next season will kind of, you know, really determine uh, the Jaguars kind of place in that jockeying, you know, whether it's for fourth, third, second, or whatever. I think the Jaguars should be expected to be competitive uh, in 2021. I think that, uh, you know, if you're seeing a team that goes like four and 12 and routinely is getting the doors blown off of them, I think that's, you know, a, a massive disappointment. But I think if you see a team that's close to the 500 and, you, you know, kind of like, maybe like the Miami Dolphins in this past season, but with like a few less wins, you know, the Dolphins want, they missed the playoffs, but they still won 10 games. I think the Jaguars maybe be that quality of a team, you know, a solid team, but not a playoff team. So I think the playoffs are probably another year or two away. And that's only if things go well, you know, that's only if Lawrence ends up being who they think he is. That's only if Meyer ends up adjusting to the NFL game. And that's only if they make the right choices roster wise, but it's, it's say everything goes well. I think 2022 is, is a reasonable time to make expectations uh, postseason. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, one more question, final question before I let you go. You mentioned uh, the Super Bowl Sunday. Just wanted to know what your thoughts are on that. And and obviously, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy, he's interviewed for a lot of head coaching jobs. You know, this off season. Just what what's missing from his resume, or could it be he's not you know, a, he he may not be a great interview or, or something like that. What do you, what do you think is preventing him from getting a head coaching job in the NFL? I I'm honestly really not sure because I mean he 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 checks every box that you know I can really think of. You know, just in terms of his resume, uh, you know, maybe him not being you know maybe him being a running backs coach and not a quarterbacks coach is hurting him to an extent. But I don't think people can say it's because he doesn't call plays because we just saw you know Nick Serini get hired by the Eagles. So uh, personally, I'm really not sure what it is. I think he's going to make a great coach, and uh, I'm thoroughly surprised that he didn't get a job this year because I, I thought this was going to be the year for him. Yeah, I really did too. I mean. You look at so many jobs that were open, you know, six or seven jobs. I just thought he would be – and he interviewed for basically every job. And so I just thought that he would get, you know, his opportunity. I know Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, they're they're probably really surprised he hadn't really gotten an opportunity either. But I know we certainly – you know, I certainly hope that he gets a head coaching job soon because he is a heck of a football coach and – and he seems like a great man from from everything I know about him. So, I mean, I really yeah. hope he gets a job. Yeah, like the way I see it, if Andy Reid uh, and, you know, Patrick Mahomes and guys like that give him a stamp of approval, I, I, I can't think of any reason why NFL teams uh, wouldn't, you know. Yeah, I mean, I can't either. But, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that it will. That it will.
All right. Well, John, I just can't thank you so much for coming on today. I know, I know you've been really busy and covering everything with the Jaguars. And, and, <laughs> Thanks, uh, man. Uh, thank- I, I, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, Bennett. And, uh, you know, uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. Uh, you know, it's a great show. And uh, thanks again for having me. I enjoyed myself. All right. Thanks so much, John. We're looking forward to talking to you down the road and looking forward, looking ahead to, to the NFL draft as we get closer to April. Yes, sir. Sounds good, man. All right. Thanks, John. Yep. That was John Shipley, beat writer for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguar Report, part of the SI.com Fan Nation Network. And we just want to thank John again for his time. You can make sure to follow John on Twitter at underscore John underscore Shipley and make sure to follow his work with the Jaguar Report. It is time to get out of here. Just want to thank you so much for listening. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a five-star review. Probably going to try to do a little giveaway for that. And you can follow me on Twitter at Shotgun726. And you can follow the Crunch Time Plays podcast on Twitter at Plays Crunch. And with that, God bless everybody. And we'll see you later on down the road here on Crunch Time Plays.